One thing we can know for sure is that God wants us to be involved in personal evangelism. And I think he wants everybody to be involved in personal evangelism. There's no escape clause in this. This isn't the work for somebody else. It doesn't matter how young a person is, how old a person is, that person can be involved in personal evangelism and be effective in the area of personal evangelism. Now, I hope you don't mind if I share some quotes from the Spirit of Prophecy as I talk with you today. Is that okay? All right. Even if it wasn't okay, I was going to share them anyway. It is in doing Christ's work that the church has the promise of His presence. To take His yoke is one of the first conditions of receiving His power. Now listen to this. The very life of the church depends upon her faithfulness in fulfilling the Lord's commission. Isn't that a powerful quote? The very life of the church depends upon this. In other, so, so let me ask a question. Let, let, let's flip this over. If, if, if members of the church are not engaged in perfect uh, personal evangelism, then by what I'm reading here, that church is by definition what? Wow. To neglect this work is surely to invite spiritual feebleness and decay where there is no active labor for others. No, what kind of labor? Active, not passive, active labor for others. Love wanes and faith grows dim. Desire of Ages, page 825. Now you get people who say, you know what? I just go to work and I try and live a good life. Now that I upset anybody and I want people to know what a nice person I am and I just, I'm, I'm happy. And I hope that people will just, um, I, don't, I, I don't know what they hope. You just hope that they're going to ask you one day, where do you go to church? I want to go there. Now that's good. We've got to let our light shine. I like that idea. Be a light. Shine. Let people see. Let people be drawn. Let people be attracted. But don't we have to take it a little bit further than that? Yes, we do. We've got to take it to the next stage. We were actually engaging people in some kind of some kind of thinking process or some kind of forward movement process to get people from where they are to where God wants them to be. So we need to be active in this. We need to be intentional. So in a certain sense, what a person needs to develop is some kind of personal evangelism plan. Personal evangelism plan. I would like you to think about a way that you can be intentional about reaching people for Jesus. Not... This is the way I live my life, and I'm going to hope for the best. But here's what I'm going to do. Here's my plan of attack. Here's my modus operandi. This is the way I do business. If you don't have a this is the way I do business, I think it's probably wise that you develop some kind of action plan, a personal evangelism action plan. So you can say, here's my way. Here's my method. Here's what I'm going to do. The work of God in this earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. That's Gospel Workers, page 352. Pardon me. I need to grab uh, a, a tool here. You know, our church has a theology of mission, a theology of personal evangelism. You could call it a theology of involvement. We believe that when Jesus spoke these words, he spoke them to all of us. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, he said, Go ye, therefore. Who's the ye in that passage? Yeah. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations. And we know that that word teach, you can translate that as what? Make disciples of. 
Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Peter wrote that we are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. So evangelism isn't something we do for, leave for the professionals. I've got to tell you as a public evangelist. People, people say this. People say, you know, our church has been doing evangelism all wrong. We, we bring in these hired guns and they ride into town and we sit back and, and just, we just let them do it. And that's not, no, that's not how the church has been doing it. That's how people have been doing it. What I, I can tell you from experience, we'll contact a, a church way in advance and say, when we're coming to do a public evangelistic service, we're appealing with you. We've got a, you know, the conference has lined this up and you've said yes and everybody's on board. But here's what we need you to do. We can't come to town and just preach to, to, to tombstones. We've got to come into town and have live bodies sitting in the audience, in the congregation, in the crowd, who are, are there because they want to be there and want to hear the word of God. So what we've done, though, is we've believed, and I'm, I'm speaking in very general terms, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm accepting from you permission to do that. We've said if we bring the evangelist in, he or she will just do the work. And, and that, 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 that will never bring success. Now, a part of the problem is this. We became an evangelism, the victims of our own success. Back in the old days, you could put up a tent and a big sign saying, hear the singing evangelist. We used to use that term in a public setting, the singing evangelist. And then there'd be a, a big picture of a beast, a biblical prophetic beast. And people would say, oh, look at that. And a guy would come home from work and say, well, Ethel... I see there's a, there's a meeting downtown in the, in the village square and they're going to have a singing evangelist. And she'll say, a singing evangelist? We need to go to that. And he would say, well, uh, because I, I walked home from the shoe store downtown and you had supper ready and waiting on the table and because the children have their homework done and because there's no television yet, and because we, we can't download movies to watch from Netflix, and because, uh, uh, because we don't have a mortgage so big that you absolutely have to work, uh, we can do this. And she says, yes, we can. And so they go to the meeting, and the evangelist, well, the singing evangelist, sings a beautiful song. And they say, well, that was beautiful. And then the evangelist preaches, and, and he turns to her, and he says, that's not what we believe. We don't believe that dead people sleep. And she says, but Ralph, he's right. Look at what the Bible says. And he answers by saying, you know what? He is right. We need to join that church. Good old days. Is that the world in which you live? Dad's getting home six, seven, mom might or might not be home from work. Children today, so I'm told, have more homework than children have ever had before. And then when they're not in homework, they're sitting at a computer game or on the internet or they're watching a movie or they have a television that has 400 channels and, and at least two channels from their own church. Why do they want to go out to a meeting? Besides, they're now steeped in dispensationalist theology. When John Shuler was preaching in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1930, in, in 19, uh, back in the 30s, and they baptized 136 people, there was no one there arguing with him about the secret rapture. 
Nobody. You spoke about the Antichrist, and people said, yeah, we, yeah, we, mm-hmm, yep, we always figured, mm-hmm. It was a different age then than it is now. So what we've got to have is a, is a, is a laity, that word, la- the word laity just from, it comes from a group, uh, a word that means people, people. And we're all people in the church. It doesn't mean that the, 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 the clerics up here and the plebs down there. We believe in a priesthood of all believers where everybody can be involved doing the work of God. We have a theology of involvement. Clearly what we need is a personal work. <clears throat> Not a work where somebody else reaches Jesus for you. But where in, in our personal area, in our little sphere, we are doing something personally to reach others for the Lord. Now, let me, let me share a principle with you. One thing is this, and, and I think this is a very important thing to notice and recognize. The place you really want to be seeking to work for Jesus is the place where Jesus is working. You understand what I mean? Um, I was in Florida for work. It's brutal. It's brutal when you have to go to Daytona Beach for work. Brutal. And there was a, 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 a fellow's wife there who was, a, who was a gun surfer. She grew up surfing in Hawaii. And uh, someone had a surfboard. I grew up 40 minutes from one of the best left-hand breaks in the world and never got near a surfboard. Um, so I said, how hard can this be? You know, surfboards are hard to get on. I don't mean stand on, just get on, very hard. And uh, I said, well, should I get up on this surfboard? What then do I do? She said, it's no difficulty at all. All you have to do is catch the wave. I said, if I miss the wave, she said, it's okay. There's another wave coming along just a short time later. All you've got to do is catch the wave. It's like flying a kite. What do you have to do when you fly a kite? You've just got to catch what? You've got to catch the wind, catch the air. The air is blowing. If the air is not blowing... You don't fly a kite. You say, I'll wait for another day. You wouldn't take your Bible studies, would you, and set up a booth in the foyer of a convention for the National Society of Atheists. You wouldn't do that. You would conclude, the wind is not blowing there. That's not where I want to go. What we want to do is identify where God is working and work there. Now, I'm not saying you should never witness to an atheist. I'm saying you might want to take a slightly different approach. But you want to work where God is working. Um, To that end, look for spiritual interests. Well, not just spiritual interests, but spiritual interest. And sometimes you might need to scratch a bit and dig a bit and prod a bit to find, to identify spiritual interest. When you start asking uh, carefully worded questions and we, when you engage people in conversation and when you listen, these are all points I'm going to come back to a little bit later on, you will, you will discern, you will detect spiritual interest. Jesus said there's no point casting your pearls before swine. And there's not a lot of point putting a whole lot of energy into a situation where there's no spiritual interest. For instance, if you have an atheist neighbor 
and a, and a backslidden Baptist neighbor on the other side, and you want to give somebody a Bible study, where's most likely the best place to start? It's with the person where, there's, where you know there's some kind of spiritual interest. Now, to go on the other side of the fence, if you were going to be an effective personal evangelist, would you knock on his door and say, I have this Bible study? Would you do that? What might you do? You might bake a loaf of bread, right, and say, Mr. Smith, wouldn't you like a loaf of bread? And that's effective personal evangelism because you just made a friend and touched a heart. You might spend some time leaning over the fence talking to Mr. Smith about his kids or about his dog or about his job. You might... Take some t- you might say to Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith, you need, some, you need those branches cleared away from your backyard. I've got a trailer. I can do that for you. And we'll come back to why uh, that kind of approach is so very, very important. So, so you've heard it said different strokes for different folks. And it's important to keep that in mind because there might be a reason that some of us are just getting nowhere in sharing Jesus with others. Perhaps a lot of the time we're, putting, we're aiming our guns at the wrong targets. And thinking, hmm, maybe one size fits all. When, when it comes to evangelist, one size doesn't fit, fit all. Personal evangelism. Uh, not all fish are caught with the same bait. Some fish aren't even caught with bait. And not all fish, not all spiritual fish are going to be caught with the same approach. It just doesn't work that way. So we want to identify spiritual interests. And not just spiritual interests but spiritual interest in the singular. And I want you to know anybody can be successful in personal evangelism. You can be successful. And if you know already that you are successful, then I want you to know that you can go from here and teach someone else how they can be successful. You can. Um, Many, many years ago, I remember hearing a a story of a lady who was uh, ancient and she was housebound. Elderly probably wouldn't have come close to describing her. She couldn't get out of her home anymore, but she wanted to do something for Jesus. She wanted to do something. You know what she did? She got on the phone, and she got a telephone book, and she started at A. Aardvark Aaron A., the first name in the telephone book. And she called up, and she said, Hello, my name is Mary, and I'm calling just to offer you a Bible study. And uh, if you'd like a Bible study, I'll send it to you in the mail, and you can do it by correspondence. And you know that a lot of people didn't want to have anything to do with it. But you know also that there were some people who were just taken by that and said, well, sure, send it to me in the mail. No harm. I mean, let's give it a shot. She went through that entire telephone book. She told her pastor, pastor, there are two names I haven't got. I keep calling them. I've called them at 1 a.m. I've called them at 4 p.m. I got up early at 4 a.m. to call them. I'm going to find them sooner or later, Pastor. But I've offered Bible studies to everyone in that phone book except for two. You think that was effective? It was absolutely. It wasn't effective for every, every person. But when you're taking that kind of, that kind of a broadcast approach, that was effective because she was able to offer a Bible study to everybody in a phone book, and many people accepted. You can be successful. You know, one thing that's going to gauge or determine whether you're successful in personal evangelism or not is the level of your commitment to personal evangelism, how badly you want it. If you really want to reach somebody for Jesus, you're going to reach somebody for Jesus. Unless you're a complete knucklehead, you are going to reach somebody for Jesus. And the reason I put it like that is the only reason you're not going to have success is if you're just going about it all wrong and not learning from your mistakes. Now, let me say this. 
when it comes to effective personal evangelism, you don't want to be afraid of making mistakes. You just don't. Uh, we read in the Bible, cast your bread by, by all, upon all waters. You know, there might be somebody that you say, I just don't know what to do to get through to that guy. I'm going to try this. And the person says, I'm not interested. That wasn't a failure. That was a success. You just learned one thing that that person's not interested in. And you won't try that approach n- next time. You'll say, oh, come at it from another angle. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. Be prepared to make mistakes. I heard of a conference president who offered the pastors in his conference $50 for every new idea they tried in evangelism that failed. Try something, pastors. If it fails, I'll give you $50 for you personally, cash. You know, that was a smart guy because then he kind of removed the, the, the fear of failure. And he knew that the more they tried, the more likely they were going to be to find success in sharing Jesus with others. So, um, be willing. I'm going to come back to this point soon. Soon I'll get to the points that I'm telling you I'm going to come back to. (laughs) But if you will go to God and petition God's throne and, and, and shake the throne of God and tell God, I want to reach somebody for Christ. You know what? You're going to reach somebody for Christ. You just are. The problem isn't that there's nobody to reach. The problem is that there's not enough people going out and doing the reaching. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are what? God's not looking for anything other than people willing to stand up, put up their hand and say, as the prophet said, here am I, send me. And when we're saying that and we, we just tell God, this is something I want to do and I'm committed to, we will find success in personal evangelism. Something I want to say this, find out what your strengths are and find out what your weaknesses are. Play to your strengths. Any sports team plays to its strengths. If they're weak on defense and strong on offense, then they're not going to rely on their defense to win the game. They're going to rely on their offense and they'll, they'll structure their game to play to their strengths. We ought to play to our strengths when it comes to a personal evangelism. If there's something that you feel like you just cannot do and you continue to mess up, just keep away from that and try something else. Then you might like to go to the Lord and say, can you help me in that area of weakness? But don't be afraid of playing to your strengths. Now, I just opened the door for everybody to have the biggest cop-out ever. Well, that's just not my strength. I don't mean for you to to, to say that about everything. But it's important to play to your strengths. Um, It's vital we're serving the Lord. Let me me show you a, a, a quote that you can take back to your church and and share with everybody a hundred times. When the churches are left to inactivity, Satan sees to it that they are employed. He occupies the field and engages the members in lines of work that absorb their energies, destroy spirituality, and cause them to fall as dead weights upon the church. It's essential that we're engaged doing something, something, something to reach souls for Jesus. A wise man who was a, a, my ministerial secretary in one conference said, a pulling horse doesn't kick. If we get our churches active doing something for Jesus, they're going to stop fussing about the color of the carpet. They're going to stop complaining about the pastor's sermons and start praying for him some more. They're going to stop bickering about who's on the nominating committee. They're going to say, we have bigger fish to fry. We've got to go and win souls for Jesus. Getting involved in evangelism changed my life. It changed my life. I was in no way God's gift to evangelism, and evangelism was in every way God's gift to me. My focus changed. 
why would I start making mountains out of, out of theological issues that were really in the big picture molehills when over there there's a young couple living in sin, he's smoking, she's drinking and using drugs, they have children that are going straight to hell, but now somehow they've got this idea that they want to learn about the Bible. Suddenly, only one thing matters, and that's taking Jesus to that young couple. Amen. See, it will change your life when you get involved in personal evangelism because you will see what's really important and what's really important is saving souls for whom Jesus died that he can be honored and vindicated and glorified in their lives. I do believe, and I don't mean to lay this on you as a guilt trip, I really do believe that Christians who love Jesus will feel a burden for souls. If you don't pray for it, just be honest and say, Lord, maybe I'm not where I need to be, but please, would you, would you take me there? Because even if it's just for your spiritual good, you need to be there. There's a quote that I'll come to later uh, that talks about this. If you're not expert and you feel like you, you, you're inadequate at doing something for Jesus, you have no excuse anymore. Every time you turn around ASI, you see something that says life. That's a Bible worker or evangelism training school. And you see that and you go, oh, that's not for me. And you turn around and then you see AFCO, Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. And you say, no, the Lord isn't trying to tell me something. It just happens to be that they're both at ASI. And then you, tra- you walk away from that and say, thank God I got away from them. And then you bump into somebody who says, have you heard about salt? Have you heard about salt? You can't be a Bible worker training school if you don't have a, a, a what are those little things called? An acronym. It's got to be an acronym. SALT is the new, it is written uh, evangelism and Bible worker training school that is being run and conducted in partnership with Southern Adventist University. And I'm just as excited as anything about that. So you've got, uh, what did I say? Life, AFCO, SALT. What did I just say? Good, you heard me. Good. And, uh, and then there's Arise, and there's Mission College, and in West Virginia, the conference here is starting something, and Upper Columbia Conference has just started something. And I was told by the, the, the uh, I was told that there are a couple of other of these schools starting in various places. And I say, thank the Lord. Soon they're going to be like Baptist churches in the South. There'll be one on every corner. And, and then, and then, and then where's our excuse? And if you can't go there, because these programs are typically longer, you know, four, four and a half months, something like that, and they cost a little bit of money. If you can't go there, well, there are resources everywhere, and there are DVDs everywhere. So really, there's not much excuse. Um, Here's that quote, Desire of Ages 141. No sooner is one converted than there is born within him or her a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he has found in Jesus. The saving and sanctifying truth cannot be shut up in his heart. Now, here's the quote that we're going to go to. You've heard it before. If you haven't, that's okay. It's interesting that in recent years, this quote has really come to the forefront, and people have talked about it like they just unearthed it from the vault. But it's that wonderful quote in in Ministry of Healing, page 143, and we need to talk about it because it says this, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. And you've got a statement like that. Only this method is going to bring true success. Notice she said true success. She didn't say Christ. She didn't say no other method can bring success. She said true success. I think there's a difference. Um, You know, people say, well, if you don't pray before reading the Bible, you're not going to be blessed. You can be plenty blessed without praying before reading the Bible. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. God's worked through atheists to bring people to Jesus. But we're talking about true success, and, and, I, and I'm not recommending not praying before reading the Bible. 
the Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. Let's break that down a little bit. Jesus mingled among men. I, uh, I'm only going to do, I'll be honest with you, I'm only using this whiteboard because it makes me look more studied and professional. Jesus mingled among men. In Matthew chapter 5, we are told by Christ, ye are the salt of the earth. But in order to be the salt of the earth, the salt has got to get out of the salt shaker and mingle. Isn't that right? Uh, I grew up eating, eating potatoes. You know, we ate them like every day. I'm not exaggerating, probably six days a week when I was growing up. And uh, you, you peel the potatoes and you put them in the pot, but really you've got to add what? Salt and you don't you, you wouldn't put the salt in a sealed plastic bag and put it in the bottom of the pot. You want it to get around and mix up and salt and add flavor to the potatoes. And that's what Jesus did. He mingled and added salt to the people where he was. He mingled among men. There is a real need for God's people to get out and mingle. And that's a bit of a danger because we don't always want to get too close to them non-Adventists or these non-Christians. We don't want to get too close to people. You know, it's interesting. Wesley was at a fish market in London and he had with him an apprentice preacher. And that's my term, a young preacher whose name was Sammy, Sam someone or other. And there were some women over there in the fish market and their language was a bit salty. And, uh, and Sammy said, we've got to get out of here. And Wesley said, stay, Sammy. Stay and learn how to preach. Interesting, isn't it? Now, now you know what I'm not saying. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there may be some situations that aren't your typical, perfect, sanitized, buttoned-down situation. That's where people are. And that's where the salt needs to be on some level. I'm not saying lower your standards and, and, and be some sort of uh, heathen. But what we do need to get in our minds is that it's necessary for us to mingle. We can be fully paid up, card-carrying, ASI-attending, committed Seventh-day Adventist Christians and still mingle the way Jesus wants us to mingle. It's very, very important. Jesus mingled among men. You, this means you might have to get your hands dirty. You know, you might, you might have to listen to someone using bad language. You might, you might have to deal with someone who's got kids that scream and run around. You might have to deal with people who smell. You might, have to, you might have to be in places. You might have to stay up late. You might have to miss a meal. Well, you know, I like to eat at regular times. The spirit of prophecy is irregularity is important. I remember that quote where she said, where she said, these principles I'm sharing with you, you need to stick to them rigidly, even if it means offending people and not winning souls. I've read that one. Have you read that one? No, I haven't read that either. <laughs> You're going to find needy people, hurting people, dysfunctional people, addicted people, poor people, horrible people. Did Jesus mingle, yes or no? Give me some examples. Where did Jesus mingle? In the temple? All right, where else? The synagogue? Yeah, those are easy. Where? At the wayside, where else? At, at the wedding. That's a good one. He went to the wedding. At weddings, funerals, where else? 
he, Jesus spoke to all, man, he spoke to prostitutes and he went to weddings. You know, I mean, I'm just going to, yeah, I don't know, but I'm, I'm guessing someone might have even been drunk at that wedding. I, I don't know. And he, he, he dealt with, with wretched uh, church leaders and wretched church members and all kinds of people. But he, 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 you know, that woman with the issue of blood, as I, as I remember reading it, he, he put himself right where she was going to be so that she would uh, intersect with him. So Jesus put himself out there. You know, that can be draining. It can be. But if we're going to reach people, then we need to reach people. They're not all going to come to us. They're just not. These days, you put up the sign saying singing evangelist, and someone's not even going to notice because there's a gazillion other signs. You put up the sign that says, with the picture of the beast, you know, people, that, that's good. We'll do that uh, after a fashion. But that's not going to bring them in like before. So what we need is people, what did Jesus say? Go out and get them and bring them. In fact, that's Christ's uh, template for, for bringing people to him. Compel them to come. Go out into the highways and the byways and grab hold of them and bring them. You know, th- that, that, that leads us t- to this thought. Where are the people? Think about that. Think about where are the people? And then think about where are you? And where are you where people are? And it might be that there are places that you go frequently, there are masses of people that if you just changed your approach a little bit, you could now be sharing Jesus with and impacting and affecting for the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I asked a couple of people when I knew I was preparing for this, uh, this, this seminar class here on effective personal evangelism. I said to a couple of trusted, experienced people, what, what in your mind are the keys? What are the keys? Every last one of them said, the number one thing in effective personal evangelism is being a person's friend. Isn't that revolutionary? Being somebody's friend. I thought, I can't stand up at this ASI thing and tell folks that. I said, that's too simple. But there you have it. That's what the experts told me. If you're going to tell them anything... Tell them that the key is to be friends with people. And Ellen White bears this out. Uh, Christian service page 116. Pardon me for having to pick this up, but uh, in fact, you know what I'm going to do? I need to make that font bigger. People told me what happened when I got to this age, and they were right. (laughs) Go to your neighbors one by one and come close to them till their hearts are warmed by unselfish love. Sympathize with them. Pray for them. Notice this. Watch for opportunities to do them good. And as you can gather a few together and open the word of God, and as you can, gather a few together and open the word of God to their darkened minds. Watch for opportunities. You know what that means? We've got to become students of human psychology. We've got to watch what's going on in people's lives. Because not you, you, you say to people, i got a Bible study from it is written. And I'm going to give this to my neighbor, whether he likes it or not. I have a tract on the state of the dead, and I'm going to make sure I give it to my neighbor. Well, yeah, but maybe, maybe that's not where God is working. Maybe that's not the right approach. Maybe it is, but maybe it isn't. Watch for opportunities. 
Look for them. You know something? You'll be amazed how many people you can share with Jesus when you just look for, look for opportunities. They are there. The opportunities are there, and many of them we are missing. I'm in my street. We just moved to Southern California, and I'm talking to the neighbors. We're getting to know the neighbors. Oh, my wife, she's good at meeting neighbors, and it's great to have beautiful, cute, well-behaved, perfect children because then they, they are like yours because they, they're magnets for people. They're magnets. You know, you know something that's a... We don't have one. We can't really have one right now. What? A, a, a dog. A nice dog. It's a magnet. I got talking to a fellow on a plane. I don't know what... Church, he's not an Adventist. But he's got this dog. And he told me what it is. It's some kind of a cute dog. He said there's an a, there's a 80-something-year-old Jewish woman in, in their housing development in West Hollywood. And he's taken to, to going on walks with her every day. And uh, they become big friends. And he goes there for Passover stuff. And they talk about... Christ, and it all started with two things, his dog and his willingness to talk to someone that he normally wouldn't have anything to do with and then his willingness to walk with that person. He's engaged in effective personal evangelism. Um, so we, oh yes, so we're talking to the neighbors and I'm talking to the neighbor and, and I don't know, I, I said, oh, I never thought I'd be moving here. I just moved down here from Washington and he said, oh, it was the same as me. I didn't expect to be here. But he said, oh, you know, it's just you just go where the man upstairs leads you to go. I'll be back. I said, that's right. And, I, and there was a time constraint that wasn't. And as, we, as I said goodbye, Jacob, he said, dad, 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 did you hear that? Did you hear that, dad? I heard it. Is there a spiritual interest? Could I have missed that? I don't know if I was thick, but I could have missed that. We'll come back to that uh, uh, later on. We'll come back to everything later on. Uh, but you, you, you listen. You, you, ninth volume of the Testimonies, page 41. By personal labor, no, no, by personal labor. Listen, you've you got to be willing to say, I've got to get up and go do something for somebody else. They're not all going to come to me. By personal labor, reach those around you. Become acquainted with them. You can't reach someone you don't know. Preaching will not do the work that needs to be done. Angels of God attend you to the dwellings of those you visit. This work cannot be done by proxy. Isn't that something? Money lent or given will not accomplish it. As, as, as you contribute money for someone else to go on a mission trip to Zimbabwe, and as you, as you give money for tracts to be sent to Tajikistan, and you put money in an offering plate for a global mission to send global mission pioneers to wherever, keep that up. That's good. But that's not personal evangelism. That's good. We want to keep doing that and more. But back to this. Money lent or given will not accomplish it. Sermons will not do it. By visiting the people, talking, praying, sympathizing with them, you will win hearts. This is the highest missionary work that you can do. To do it, you will need resolute, persevering faith, unwearying patience, and a deep love for souls. Let me say this because I didn't put it in my notes, so if I forget... A way, a, a way to reach a person's heart is to pray for that person. Doesn't even matter if they're an atheist. You know, my, my, my dog is sick. You know, you know, Mr. Brown, I'll be praying for your dog. I, rem, I remember a guy who was a, a minister of another faith, and he became a Seventh-day Adventist. And you know what impressed him? 
he, his wife was sick, and the person came by doing some medical missionary work, true medical missionary work. And, uh, and he said, we want to, we want to, no, 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 no. Before, before it got to the medical missionary work, he said, we care. I want to pray for you. They knelt down in his living room. He said, the man prayed. He prayed for my wife. He prayed for me. He even prayed for my dogs. He said, that impressed me. Now, I'm not saying, man, Bradshaw says the number one thing is go pray for animals. I don't mean that. But if you go tell someone, I'm praying for you, that matters. I've got family members. I don't know if I could ever reach them. I don't know. I know God can. I keep praying. Every now and then they'll say, would you pray for my friend? Would you pray? And I'll tell them, praying for you. And it matters and they hear it. And there'll come a time that it will matter for them. If you can let your neighbors know, oh, by the way, you said that your son broke his leg, was in hospital. I prayed for, I've been praying for him. How's he doing? You need to preach a sermon. Let them know you're praying for them. That's going to impress people. Impress people. And you let them know you're a Christian. You let them know you're a praying person. You let them know you care. You let them know you, you know what's going on in their lives and it matters to you. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Let's jump over a couple of quotes and get back to ministry of healing. Jesus mingled among men as one who desired their good. There are some people groups that were not really cracking. We don't baptize a lot of Buddhists. We really don't. Not a lot. I was reading an article, I think, from the review where Scott Griswold from the Buddhist Study Center in Bangkok, Thailand says, what you've got to do with these Buddhists is get close to them and be their friends over a long period of time. And then look for opportunities to minister to them. If you say to a Buddhist, hey, come to my church, that might not be the the very first thing right out the gate. And Scott says, yeah, got to really get beside them and show that you care about them. Um, hardly rocket science, but Jesus mingled among men. He, he wasn't just there, but he was there as one who desired their good. I read another article about a family who got to know a, a Muslim family. And you say, how are we ever going to reach Muslims? You reach Muslims by reaching Muslims. <laughs> Throw rocks at synagogues, that's not going to get anyone anywhere. But if you reach out to... Here's what they said. They said they, they got to know this family, neighbors, I think. And they, ate, and they invited them over for meals. And they went to their place for meals. And that really works well with Adventists because they go, oh, there are some things we don't eat. And they'll say, wow. Because Muslims have this idea that Christians are heathens. You know, we, we smoke and we drink and we go to movies and they, they think that we're all crooked. And so they, they became friends with these people. Uh, one of my friends who does a lot of reaching Muslims, he says, you know what you want to do with a Muslim? is say, tell me about Islam. How would you feel if someone from another faith said to you, tell me about Christianity? <laughs> wow. So oh, here it goes. And, and three hours later, you'll have told the whole story. You praise the Lord. If you ask a Muslim, tell me about Islam. They'll be honored and blessed, they told me, and thankful. So they, they made friends with these people. And after some considerable period of time, the husband calls up. He says, can you take me to the airport this afternoon? Me and my wife, it's a two-hour drive. He hasn't given me any notice, but they're my friends. I've got to do something for them. On the way to the airport, there was a silence. And the Muslim husband said, we want you to tell us about Jesus. He said, now it made sense. 
in the car, it's safe, it's away from everybody, wouldn't have happened if he hadn't taken the time to mingle among people as one who desired their good. You know in Gospel Workers it says, this is page 193, your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find your way to the heart. Read a book called Path to the Heart by Glenn Kuhn. It's still a great book and you can find it reprinted still, I think. Um, One friend of mine says, people don't need us to be theologians. They just need us to care. And, And you know, if someone ever asks you a question from the Bible that you don't understand, just tell them, I don't know, but I'll find you an answer. Very simple. You know, I don't know. If someone comes to you with some creation evolution question, just, I don't know. Be honest, transparent, real. Reality is really very, very important. If, if we're not reaching the heart, all we're doing is convincing. And there's no convicting. And, and we don't want that. As we talk with people and we mingle among people as one who desires their good, the last thing we want to do is engage people in theological debates. If you're ever tempted to argue with somebody, bite your tongue. Just don't. We don't need to win arguments. If you're giving a Bible study with someone and they want to have a fight about it, just tell them, oh, well, we see it differently. That's okay. That's okay. You're going to share. You might counter with a verse or two. That's okay. You talk to your friend and your friend says X, and you know that X is way wrong. You've got to be prayerful. And instead of taking that head on and, and striking and, and blundering your way through a conversation as, uh, in an argumentative way, You just want to be friendly and winsome and loving. You just do. You know, as we're sharing Jesus and being effective personal evangelists, we want to be like Jesus. If we're not, we're not being effective. Then the quote said, Jesus showed his sympathy for others. He cared. That's (laughs) profound yet profoundly simple. Jesus cared. He didn't just care, but he showed that he cared. He showed that he cared. If your neighbor has carpal tunnel surgery and can't do much, then you want to not just care, but show that you care. And that means you'll wheel the trash bin out to the road and you'll bring it back in for that person and you'll cut their grass and you'll say, listen, let me do the grocery shopping for you. I'm going to the supermarket anyway. Demonstrating that we care is more important than merely caring. And then he ministered to their needs. I have a brother. I have one brother who is a Seventh-day Adventist. And he has been involved in raising up about four congregations. So he knows something about soul winning. And I don't know how many people he's led to baptism. And neither does he. But it's a lot. And uh, there was a time a while ago that he got involved with a fellow who had been one of uh, New Zealand's uh, leading methamphetamine distributors. And, uh, and, and he got involved with this guy. And when the guy and his wife were selling drugs, they had everything and more of everything than a person could ever want. And then when they accepted Jesus, they lost everything and had literally nothing, nothing. Um, other than a roof over their heads and clothes on their back, they had virtually nothing. At Christmas time, there was this, this family and, uh, and, and their kids, they had four or five kids. And my, my brother and his wife said, there's no way we can allow them to have a Christmas that's not a Christmas. They've got to have food. And, you know, they normally do gifts, so let's get them some gifts. And, and, and wow, we don't really have the money for this. They had been saving 
for a Christmas project of their own. They said it's more important to give these guys a Christmas that they'll be happy with. So they took all that money and invested it in this family. Do you think that spoke to that family? They didn't make a big deal of it. They just did it. They didn't say we're sacrificing. They just did and, and did. I know how effective it was for that family because I was the one who baptized the husband and the wife. And all along the way, there were people who were demonstrating real Christian charity and love and care for these people. You know, a methamphetamine distributor, you might think that's a hopeless case. There are no hopeless cases. None. I was one of the hopeless cases. Nobody in their right mind would have thought that I would have become an Adventist, let alone an evangelist and a minister of the gospel. Nobody. When I came into church that first day looking like death warmed up, People, you know, it was like, I think people stood back like a leper was coming in and they were, what hath God wrought? And these sort of comments. Yet God was able to reach me. And if God can reach a methamphetamine, de- methamphetamine dealer like, like this friend of mine, God can reach anybody. We had neighbors living across from us in one place. I, I need to start getting, wow, is that the time? I need to start getting on to some of these things I said I would get to. And so uh, running the risk of getting out of sequence, here's what you want to do. Pray that God will bring to you people with whom you can share Jesus. Pray. It's not your work, it's God's work. Uh, Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. Right? Don't pray that people will just say, oh, let's go, but pray that they'll be sent by God. Is that what the Bible says? I think that's what the Bible says. If you will will get on your knees and pray, Lord, I've got to share Jesus with somebody. I tell you what, when I became a a church pastor, I had been a a full-time evangelist before that and became a church pastor in Kentucky, which is a great state, isn't it, Volker? It's a great state. Uh, I realized I was the pastor of the church and had no Bible studies. None. I just thought they'd fall out of the sky seeing as I was the pastor. But they didn't. And I said, Lord, this can't be. I need Bible studies. I don't know where I'm going to find them. I tell you what, I, I, I worked with a pastor. He would put it in the bulletin. If you want to have Bible studies, contact me. Just like that. You think he got them? Yes, he did. Now, that was among the church members and their family and friends. And I, I got down on my knees. I said, Lord, I've got to have Bible studies. Got to have them. Uh, I got down on my knees a short time later and said, that's enough. I don't even know where they came from, but they came. And if you will pray, God, bring people for me to share with. We were living in our little town and in another place, and, I, and, and we, there was a family across the street, and it was, it was not a family in the traditional sense, but it was, it was a, a family. And uh, we prayed, Lord, we've got to reach them somehow. Now, the, 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 the male figure in that household, he was a character. Tattoos... You know, to me, they're so common these days, whatever. But he, I mean, he, had, he didn't have tattoos. He had tattoos. And he had, the, he had the, the dotted line tattooed around his neck. And right here, he had tattooed, cut here. Yeah. Talk about a hopeless case. And we said, Lord, we've got to reach them. And, uh, and the, the lady figure in the, in the house had her, her, boyf- her, her boyfriend's name tattooed like on her chest about here. 
you know, you shouldn't do that because that was the last boyfriend and now she's living with this guy. Got a different name. Uh, and the children, oh man, different fathers and everything. And we prayed, Lord, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. You know, before long we were doing their laundry when their washing machine broke down. Before long we were feeding their kids. And we said, that's the way. We said to the parents, you mind if we take your kids to Sabbath school? Oh, take them. Yeah, we're happy to take them. You know, I'd like to tell you that we ended up baptizing the whole family. We didn't. We didn't baptize any of them. But the point was, God opened up a door for us to minister to people in a way that was really impactful and made a lasting effect. The reason was we prayed. We moved to Simi Valley. My wife prayed, Lord, I've got, I got to be sharing Jesus with somebody. I don't know anyone here. Just down our street, there's a little swimming pool for our, for our development. And, and, and Melissa, we, we prayed as a family. Melissa and me and the kids. And it's interesting, pray this in front of the kids. Bring the kids into this so that when God answers the prayer, the, the, the kids see the prayer being answered. And uh, so one day, Melissa's down at the pool with my two children. There's a lady there, and she says, and the lady said, yes, yes, your husband preached at church. She was at the Thousand Oaks. She was at a church when I preached there one Sabbath. <laughs> and, uh, and she came to me after the church service and was really Impacted, very, very uh, impressed by the Holy Spirit. I thought she was a church member. Well, you know, that was the last time we went to that church. And then Melissa bumps into that very woman at the swimming pool. Oh, you still go to church? Well, you know, I don't get there often. I don't have a lot of money. I'm not a member. I'm not. Uh huh. And she's, 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 she's. <laughs> and so, uh, so have you been baptized? No, no, I haven't been baptized. Well, would you, I mean, do you think the Lord would like you to be baptized? Oh, I'd love to be baptized. Well, you know, before baptism, it might be a good idea to have some Bible studies. Yeah, you know, I'd like to have Bible studies. Oh, what are you going to say then? So Melissa right now is in the process of setting up a series of Bible studies. What did my wife do that was so special? Nothing. We prayed. God, will you work this out? We're willing. Will you work this out? And then, boom, a divine appointment. You've heard that phrase before. Pray for divine appointments because they are certainly there. Then Jesus won their confidence. He won their confidence. There's a thousand things I could say about this, but you know one thing I'm going to say is that we need to be listeners. We need to be listeners. I heard my neighbor say, the man upstairs. Melissa heard that woman say, yes, I went to church, but I'm not a member of the church. We want to listen when people say they are hurting. And then you can say, I've been praying for your, for your grandfather in the nursing home. We need to listen to people when they say they have needs because then you can turn up with a sack of groceries and, and say, you know, I just, I just felt like you might need this. Listen. I spoke to one man who taught soul winning for 10 years at Natty. And he says that uh, listening is so important because really often many people just want someone to listen to them. And it's not listening for the important cues that you can pick on. It's just listening. There are some people who are burdened. They carry all kinds of emotional baggage. They need someone to listen and be a friend. You can be that person. Easy. It's as easy as sitting down, keeping your mouth shut, looking. Looking away every now and then because if you don't ever look away, it freaks people out. Look away every now and then. And not, and oh, mm-hmm, 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 that's what you need to do, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, easy, 
listen. Win people's confidence. You know something that's going to win people's confidence is when you demonstrate that you are a balanced Christian. It was my brother who really led me to truth, led me to Jesus. And uh, when he left our church and joined this wacky church that he became a part of, that was, that was very weird. It was very weird for our very traditional family. But, you know, I said to my father, I said, but dad, it has helped him. My father didn't like me saying that because it was, it was undeniable that when my brother had become an Adventist, it helped him. He was no longer a, a, a drug user. He was no longer living in sin. He was no longer uh, aimless. It had really made him into, a, a, well, he's, he's this closer as this close to getting his doctorate now. It, re, it, it, it was the making of him. He was seen to be balanced. He was not seen to be a crank. I mean, it's cranky enough that we, that we go to church on Saturdays. That's cranky enough. I'm not saying hide anything. I'm simply saying that in winning people's confidence, you want to be an approachable person. You, you want to be a, a one-headed person, not a two-headed person. And, and it's easy sometimes for us to really give the wrong impression and to come across as a crank. Maybe I don't want to be any more um, uh, specific than that. Just something for you to think about. Jesus won their confidence. He didn't judge people. He was genuine. He mingled with a woman who'd had multiple husbands, a woman who wouldn't even come to the well when other people came to the well. She was so embarrassed. But he won her confidence. So that when he, was, when he revealed to her that he, she was, he was the Messiah, she ran back and said, come on, everybody, I just met a man. I just met a man. Come on and, and, and listen to him. And then he bade them follow me, which suggests that an, an, an significant, a significant part of effective personal evangelism is asking the question, not just sowing the seed, but being prepared to reap a harvest. I, I had a, a friend who worked in a medical institution and he said, I've never invited anyone to church that I've worked with. I've never had a Bible study with anyone I've worked with. He was a, he was a uh, okay, he worked in a medical situation. And then I have a brother who works in a medical situation. He says to me, almost every day I'm involved in spiritual conversations. He said, almost every week opportunities come up for me to study the Bible with people. He's prepared to say, follow me. Uh, I knew another guy who worked at the exact same hospital my brother's working at. The word was he had, he had led 50 people to baptism. 50. He was the groundsman. And he had led 50 people to baptism. Why? He just got beside people. He made friends with people. Then he listened. And then when he spotted a gap, he went through that gap. Okay, let's, let's look at some specifics in the inordinately short time we have left. If you expect me to be on time today, I'm sorry I'm not going to be on time. Amen. First thing, first thing. This is not the first thing. Pray. you got to pray. Go to the Lord and pray. Whenever I fly, I pray. Lord... I would like you to put me next to somebody that I can share Jesus with today. If you don't, I will like that too, because then there's nobody sitting next to me. But if you bring somebody, uh, help me with this. So I'm flying this long trip back from New Zealand, and it's back from New Zealand the long way. And uh, I got all the way to New York City, and nothing, nothing, nothing. And, and, and then I'm in the, uh, in the airport, and then comes this guy, loud guy, he's wearing a T-shirt, he's got a cell phone. I spotted him, I knew he was a pastor right away. Soon as I knew it, he had his, his hat on. It said, "Give Israel back to the Jews." 
And the way I knew he was a pastor, he was on his phone, he said, Hey, it's Pastor Joe speaking. (laughs) Maybe this guy's a pastor. I prayed, Lord, I would love to talk to this man. I would love to. Put him next to me on the plane. I get on the plane and he's sitting here and I'm way down there. Ah, I said, oh, well, Lord, I'm so tired. At least I get to sleep. And I'm doing this. And next minute, a guy said, excuse me. And I said, what? He said, "Uh, they want to redistribute the weight on this plane. They've asked me if I'd move to the back. There's a seat next to you. Mind if I sit there? (laughs) We had a great discussion. This guy was a man of God. He was a pastor. He was a soul winner. I'll never forget. He said, you got to get a person good and lost before you can get them saved. <laughs> I asked him, have you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? Well, no. Did you ever tell a lie? Yeah. Well, you broke one of the Ten Commandments. And that's sin. And the wages of sin is death. But there's hope. Let me tell you about the hope. And then he bring him back. Yeah, I wish I could tell you about the conversation. I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm not going to have a conversation with this man about the Sabbath. I'm just not. I'm not. He loves Jesus. I love Jesus. We've talked about our faith in Jesus. That's been good. We've talked about soul winning. We've talked about the Bible. We are friends. I have his card. That's good. But you know, God, God kept nudging me. I said, nah. The Lord is saying, that's what, he need. that's what you need to talk to him about. And, uh, and this man kept on saying, I believe a person should keep all the Ten Commandments. All the Ten Commandments. He must have said that 11 times. All right. And uh, we had a great, uh, just a great conversation. It worked out well. I was able to send him a copy of The Great Controversy. And the Lord knows where that is going. We've got to pray. Look for, look for spiritual interest. Look for spiritual interest. Look for spiritual interest. It's important we do that. That was in the Bible. Acts 17. Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Now, in the King James, this says too superstitious. New King James is very religious. And then he shared the good news with the people of Athens. The Ethiopian eunuch. Now, that was easy. The Lord led him there. He says, what are you reading? Well, I'm reading out of the book of Isaiah. All right, that's like a red rag to a bull. That's an open invitation. All right. But there was a spiritual interest there. Um, we pray that you can find spiritual interest. And then you know something we've got, to, we've got to get better at doing? Leading people into spiritual conversations. I do need to write this up. I pray. Uh, spiritual interest. I'm putting SI for time's sake. And then spiritual conversations. How do you turn the conversation to some spiritual thing? There are ways you can do it. Uh, my brother says, you've got to be a little bold sometimes. But there are ways you can do it. And, you know, you know it, it, it's, so, it's so easy, particularly if, as, as you're a Christian. You know the, the FORT acronym, right? Family, Occupation, Religion, Testimony. So, oh, where are you from? How long have you been living around here? Really? All right, great, great. You work around here? No, how long have you been there? Good. Kids, too. How nice. Where do you go to church? What's wrong with asking a person that question? Where do you go to church? They go, I don't go to church. I'm an atheist, or I, I, I don't go to church anymore. All right, you don't have to press, but you could. You might come back later on and say, you, you said anymore, where, where did you used to go? I was raised a Catholic. I was raised a Methodist. What happened? Easy. What happened? Oh, I got sideways with the priest, and I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't. For me, I would say, very similar story. Really, what happened to you? Man, we're away spiritual conversation 
try to tune that thing. You, you know, there, there might be right ways and there might be wrong ways. I, I, I'm not going to go into all the ways right now. That's the how to have a spiritual conversation seminar. But spiritual conversations. We're never going to get past go with people unless we turn the conversation to biblical things, spiritual things, church stuff, God stuff. You know, i got a sister. I don't know how to get through to her. I don't know how to get through to her. She'll attend church every now and then. You know what? You know what I've learned though? They'll accept a book. They read. Hey, it's a good book. Why don't you read this sometime? I gave my sister a book, a good book. She never read it. Put it on a shelf. Then years later, found that book and read it. She said, "That was a great book." Got any more? <laughs> my sister came to hear me preach one day when I was back in New Zealand, and I'm thinking, Lord. How do we reach my sister? Lord, what do we do to reach my sister? My friend Dave comes up to me and says, you ought to have Bible studies with your sister. Ah, you think? Oh, yeah. How do you know? Oh, she's ready. I said, how do you know that? Oh, I just said to her, how are things with you and God? (laughs) I didn't tell him this. I thought I would... I would never have done that. <laughs> How are things with you and God? I've, 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 I've asked people that same question ever since. Man, it opens doors. How are things with you and God? Easy, man. And so the door is wide open now. And uh, sometimes it just takes someone with a fresh pair of eyes and a fresh approach. So, uh, prayer. You know, one thing I would encourage you to do, assess your current friendships. Who are the people you are in touch with right now that you're not sharing Jesus with or haven't shared Jesus with in any way, in any way? Haven't even said, praying for you. Haven't even said that. Haven't said, hey, God bless you, man. Haven't even done that. Who are, the, and who are they and how might you be able to reach them? Analyze this. Pray. What do I do? Do I take them a, a, a calendar from the voice of prophecy? Do I, do, I, do, I, do I give them a, a Bible as a gift for Christmas? Do I, do I carry with me an armload of tracts and when they talk about their neighbor dying, I say, oh, hey, man, read, I, I just read this very interesting tract uh, about death. And it had some thoughts you, that might be new to you. I don't know. Read this and tell me what you think. Easy, man. Let me tell you what I think is one of the the most underutilized forms of witnessing that we have in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We have all these religious television programs. Amazing facts. It is written. It is written. It is written. We have uh, Voice of Prophecy on the radio. We've got all this stuff, the other programs too, you know. Let me ask you a question. Do you know when they come on TV or on the radio in your community? Find out. If you're not going to watch it, that's between you and the Lord. There's a special, uh, some special questions asked in the judgment of people who don't watch it as written. God, you'll hear from God about that. Hey, do you ever listen to the radio? I've got the radio on all the time. 
12 o'clock Wednesday. There's a, there's a good program on at 12.50 a.m. I've, I've heard it. I like it. Listen to it. What is it? It's a guy talking about faith and spirituality. I think you'll like it. Spirituality, everyone's spiritual. Everyone. Atheists are spiritual. There's a program about faith and despair. Now, you don't tell them. It's called the Voice of Prophecy, and it's my church. You could do that if you wanted. But why don't you tell people that great radio program on? I saw a program on just the other morning, Sunday morning at 10. It is written or whatever. It might be amazing facts. It might be, it might be something else. If you've got uh, Hope Channel on in your community or, or 3ABN on in your community, tell them. Just, all you do is, have you ever seen Channel 47? You'd ask about the movie channel. You would. You'd say, did you see what was on the news? You absolutely, and, and your friend wouldn't even think twice. Have you ever watched Channel 47? No, I never have. Check it out. Tell me what you think. They might come back and say, I looked at that, a bunch of religious nonsense. Or they might say, that was okay. Easiest thing in the world. Turn people on to what's already going on, and they're not going to be offended by that. So we look for spiritual interests. Assess our current friendships. You know what? Speaking of spiritual interests, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you uh, 30 minutes of material in the next four and a half minutes. Um, a friend of mine was a pastor in a local church. Right on their back doorstep, there was like an Air Force base. He said, how do I get to those people? How? I've got to get to where they are. He said, you know, the only way I'm going to get on there is if I become a chaplain. And now he's a military chaplain as well as a church pastor. He did it specifically to reach those people. So let's think like that. Intentionally build relationships intentionally. A friend of mine, okay, he's out of the church now, but, but when he was in the church, he and his wife would go to this one restaurant and, and, and target this one waitress. They tried to be there when, and, and make sure that this one waitress waited on them every single time. So they knew her name and her husband's name and her children's name and ages and where she was from. And they were developing a relationship with this woman so that God might open that up for uh, opportunities to share Jesus. That was intentional. And that was smart. Um, I mentioned praying specifically for opportunities to share Jesus. God will bring them to you. Oh, let me, let me mention this too. You know, we are Seventh-day Adventists, which means that God has commissioned us to share what? The gospel, the everlasting gospel. What's the main component of the everlasting gospel? Jesus. Yet how often people make the mistake of thinking that what they need to share with their neighbors is the Sabbath or vegetarianism or the truth about the second coming of Jesus. Um, my brother, who is, is, is an experienced and a very, uh, let me just say, a very good soul winner, he says it's absolutely vital that we share Christ with people. Jesus, the love of God, forgiveness, assurance, grace. Sometimes we assume that everybody's got that figured out already. And, they, and really, they haven't. Not everybody. Or if they have, it's important that they know you have. So in sharing Jesus with others, don't be sweating, how am I going to tell them about the mark of the beast? There are, yes, there are more important things. I think I can say that. 
Now, it comes to a, you know, there's going to come a time in person's experience when the mark of the beast will be the most important issue. There's no question. But in looking to share Jesus, don't overlook the simple fact that it is important to share Jesus. That's really, really important. I mentioned listening. Listen, 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 listen. Someone mentions that they went to Catholic school or if someone mentions that uh, they're vegetarian or whatever, listen for things you can pick up on at uh, a later time. I want to tell you this too. Uh, This is really a conceptual thing. If you are here, I'm going to assume that you are in some measure committed to the Seventh-day Adventist Church and its message and its mission. If one is not committed to those things, one cannot be an effective personal evangelist. Cannot. I mean, go do a study. Go and find a dozen people in your church who, who, who really take the message rather lightly and the mission rather casually, and then find a dozen people who are strongly committed and, and, and count up how many souls they've won over the last 15 years, and, and you'll see. We, before God can, before we are usable, I mean, really, to be used in an effective way, we've got to be fully committed and paid up and sold out to the message that God has given us as a church. It's, it's just... It's just a truth. Um, I would say this too. Look for the simple things you can do. You know, sharing tracts and books and publications, those are simple things. And yet what are we told? In the last days, masses of people who are are coming to the church are going to trace their conversion back to the time they received our missionary publications. You know, sending, sending, sending people signs of the Times magazine, it still makes a difference in people's lives. It still does. We've had people baptized in churches I've been a part of because we run these uh, day camps. And someone who's a church member sponsors a non-church member's kid so they can come to the day camp all week long. And they learn about Jesus and they say, yes, I'd like to have Bible studies. And then whole families are being baptized. Look for the simple... Sometimes it's just the simple things. Um, I'm not going to talk about this in depth because A, I don't have time, and B... Um, you need to hear this in depth in maybe another seminar, and I think there is one on this subject. You know, we've been told that we really all need to be acquainted with principles of medical missionary work. Don't be scared by that. There are some simple and very effective medical missionary things you can learn and you can do and you can share. You know, I, had a, I have a niece. She was, uh, she was sick she had a terrible headache is what she had. And uh, there was no aspirin. And I said, wait right there. And I went and got a bucket full of reasonably warm water. I said, put your feet in this bucket. And she said, Uncle John, what in the world? And my brother looking at me like this. And my mother, oh, you know, brother's son is a seventh-day Adventist. What do you expect? <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and so I said, no, 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 give it five minutes. You know, you know when that headache went away because of a little hydrotherapy, a little medical missionary work? She looked at me with new eyes. You know, again, the story's not ended. We're talking about long-term projects here. But if you know some simple medical missionary principles, they're very, very, very important things. Also, too, when you're, when you're sharing Jesus with others and that you're bringing them to the place where they're going to start attending church, prep the church. Find people to come and say hello to your guest. Find people who are going to intentionally be nice to the people you bring to church. That makes it effective. Bringing a person to a Seventh-day Adventist church can sometimes be an incredibly ineffective thing to do, depending on the personality of the church. So give yourself a shot at success 
by, by, by keeping the person away from certain people, <laughs> by bringing the person to certain people, and telling the pastor, I got a visitor coming this week, pastor, please preach a visitor-friendly sermon. Now, I don't want to get pastors in trouble, but the bottom line is all of our sermons should be visitor-friendly. You can preach a second coming, you can preach a state of the dead, you can preach a Sabbath, you can preach spirit of prophecy, you can preach it all in a visitor-friendly way. You can. You can. I've done it. You can do it, and people appreciate it. But, but tell, do what you can to make that next step um, happy and not unhappy. Oh, there are quotes to read. I won't read them. Perhaps we'll just wind it up here. We have covered a bit of time. This is not an incredibly effective way of ending a presentation, but I'm going to end it like this anyway. I'll tell you a story. Some of you heard the story. Some of you heard the story two or three times this summer because everywhere I've gone, I've told the story. It's such a good story. Uh, I'll tell it in quick form. I met a young lady who, was, who, who uh, turned up in church. I knew her when she was a little girl. Uh, and a brand new church member when the family converted. Um, I, I met her this one day, and she said she'd been out of the church for a long time. And uh, she was there with her baby. She had a non-Adventist husband. The parents had split up and left the church. The brothers had left the church. They were all, all gone. Poof. Gone. And uh, I met her this one day, and she said, you know, I'm back. I don't know why I came to church this morning. I don't know why. It's been a long time, but I heard your sermon. I've recommitted my life to Jesus. She said, I'm going to go get my whole family and bring them all back. Now, no, this is slightly different. Um, we haven't talked about being effective personal evangelist in terms of reclaiming Adventists. You know, you know let, me, let me digress a little bit here. Um, ad, former Adventists can be very hard to reach. They're former Adventists for a reason. They made a decision. I'm out of here. But not all of them. Some of them, they just got, they just got cold. You know, they took one step. They took another step. They got busy at work. Next minute, they're not going to church. It's been so long. They'd be embarrassed to go back after all these years. If you know those people, you've got to go after them. Go after them aggressively. Not offensively, but go after them. They were Adventists. They loved the message once. They probably still believe it. Go and make friends with them and find opportunities to invite them to church. No, no, it's not church. We're having a, a, a supper. Just come. Ah, oh, you're going to drag me back to church. I would never do such a thing. <laughs> Just come out to supper. We've got volleyball, man. We're roasting wieners over the fire. Just come. And if you chip away at them and, and, and introduce them to church members and love them, many of these people will come back. I know because I've brought... I've been there when, when the Lord has brought many of these people back just through love and time. And, oh, man, no one from the church has ever visited me, and you've come by. Thanks. Oh, no, no. They talk about you all the time. Oh, yeah. People praying for you. You can't lie, but, you know, there are ways you can say that <laughs> and, 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 and be, uh, be true. So we really ought to go after these folks. And there are lots and lots and lots of them. So she said, I'm going to bring back the whole family. I said to myself, that will never happen. And I said to her, praise the Lord. I'll pray for you. 
you know, that would have been the most useless prayer ever because I didn't think she had a hope of bringing back even one. Honest. I saw her again. She said, guess what? Mum and dad got back together. They did. Did I change? Because the parents split up. They're back together. Really? Yes. And they got rebaptized. And they're back in the church. I said, how did that happen? She said, I told you I was going to pray for them. And the Lord used me to bring them back. Great, I said. And then I thought, but there's still three brothers and a husband. I said, how's the others? My husband is attending the archaeology seminar right before your evangelistic series. I said, wow, how's he enjoying it? It's going good. A couple of days later, we heard a rumor that he'd accepted Jesus. And so I investigated and discovered that during the archaeology seminar, he, he just believed that the stuff about Noah's Ark was true. And he said to his wife, I, I, this is true. Um, I think I believe the Bible now. Do you think I should get baptized? <laughs> what? No. If, if what he's saying is true, then the Bible is true. And if the Bible's true, then I ought to follow the Bible. If I'm going to follow the Bible, I should get baptized, right? And join the church, right? Shouldn't I do that? Which was, it's a, it's a very Catholic way of thinking. That's exactly what I thought. And, uh, and, and so she said, well, come to the meetings. Oh, yeah, I'll come to John's meetings. And so he came to the meeting, working on Sabbath, and he's smoking, and he's swearing, and all that. So he was a work in progress. But he'd made a decision and a commitment. And, and she said, oh, oh, and he said, now we've got to go get your brothers and bring them to the meetings. That's what he said. And so the meetings are going on, and, and mom and dad are there, and the daughter is there, and she's happy, and now the husband's there, and two of the brothers are there. And uh, we're two-thirds of the way through the meeting, and... Uh, the dad is watching a program on TV that says you ought to pray for your kids. So he gets down on his knees. He should have been at the evangelistic series, actually. But he gets down on his knees and he prays. And he says, Lord, you've got to bring my son back. The son, he's not coming. You've got to, you've got to. Full of potential. Bright, bright, bright. Good looking kid. Bright guy. At the time the dad is praying, he's sitting on his front step smoking a cigarette. Back step, actually. I can see the very step. Smoking a cigarette. And while he's smoking the cigarette, he just thinks, why am I doing this? I should be at John's meetings. He stubs out the cigarette. He says, where's my Bible? Runs in the house, finds a Bible, jumps in the car, arrives at the meeting late. But he gets there. The husband... And the brothers are all filling out decision cards. I accept Jesus. I want to be baptized. I'll keep the Sabbath. I want to join the church. I was back for a youth thing, I don't know, nine months later or something. Of course, mom and dad, dad's an elder in the church. Um, the daughter is a powerhouse youth leader in her city. And the husband and the brother and the brother and the other brother are all sitting on a front row, all baptized. One became a student missionary, and another is now an it is written Bible worker. Amen. This girl had no theological training. She had never been to any Bible worker training school. She hadn't even been in church in years, but she had something. She had faith in God, and she had the ability to pray. Bottom line is, 
If you have that much, then you have what it takes to be an effective personal evangelist. If you will insinuate yourselves into the lives of other people, if you will mingle among people as one who desire their good, if you will minister to the needs and win their confidence, then you too will be able to say, follow me, and you'll be able to win people to Jesus like never before. I'm thankful that there are many, many, many people in the Seventh-day Adventist Church who are committed, effective, personal evangelists. But we need more. If every one of us would pray the prayer, God, use me. God, bring someone to me. Lord, show me how to use what I have and who I am for your glory. You know what I believe? I believe Jesus would come back a whole lot sooner. We can hasten his coming, we have been told. And we know that he wants to come back soon. We're going to pray and then I have a little thing to tell you. Madam, are you uh, trying to... What is it? Oh, listen. In case you didn't know, my name is John Bradshaw. The seminar is called Effective Personal Evangelism. And then you write, yes. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but, but do, yes, but not at the same time as Nedley. So that different time you can get it both. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us Jesus. You have given us the pearl of great price. And there are many people waiting to hear the good news that there is a Savior who is love, who is coming back soon, and who can change their lives and fill them with joy and peace and hope. I pray that each of us will go from here with renewed determination commitment, perhaps a little sharper focus. Maybe we've heard some things that have prompted us and prodded us. May we go from here um, sharing Christ. Give us opportunities to be light and salt and a blessing. Help us. We thank you, Lord. We make ourselves available to you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go, I just want to tell you this. You may not know this, but at itiswritten.com, we have a new feature. We have a daily devotional called Every Word. And if you go there, you can watch it. And if you like it, you can subscribe to it. And one of the best things about it is it's user-friendly. You can then get it. It will be sent to your inbox every day. It's me doing a 60-second, can you believe it, a 60-second devotional. And we're going to lengthen it just a little bit, maybe out to about two minutes. What you can do is forward it to somebody and say, hey, just watched this. It's about how to be happy. Tell me what you think. That's effective personal evangelism. So every word of the It Is Written website, I would love it if you check it out and be so thrilled if you would subscribe and let us send that to you every day so you can be blessed and bless others. Thank you for being here, friends. God bless you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.